Well, if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me today to Hebrews chapter 11. We will read verses 6 through 12. Hebrews 11, verses 6 through 12. Welcome again, uh, those of you who are joining us today. We are glad that uh, you are here. And uh, we are studying through the book of Hebrews together. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 through 12. Before we read, let's uh, pray again and trust uh, that the Holy Spirit will help us in preaching and hearing of the word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have given us the scriptures which are inerrant and infallible. We thank you that the word is God-breathed. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and cannot be broken. We thank you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the scriptures in a language we can understand. We thank you for all the men and women who have, even at the risk of their own lives, have translated this word, have um, many times uh, caused the word to be spread into various countries at various times so that it could be handed down to us. We thank you for the Protestant Reformation that uh, made it legal and uh, to have the scriptures in our home and to be able to read them. And uh, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the blessing that it is. And we would pray, Lord, that it would be a blessing to us today, that we would enjoy the word, that we'd know the word, that the word would dwell richly within us. We'd meditate upon it today. Uh, we'd think about it even tonight. We pray, Lord, that it would bear fruit in our lives. It would make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to love you with everything we have and one another. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, <clears throat> when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she, was considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand 
which is by the seashore. Amen. Now, we are talking about uh, perseverance. That's the big picture. And within the context of the big picture, talking about how you continue in the faith, we are talking now in chapter 11 more about uh, the engine room of perseverance. And the engine room of perseverance is faith itself. That is, what keeps you going when life gets difficult? What keeps you going when it seems like the providence of God is running a different course than the promise of God? What keeps you going when there's all kinds of opposition from the world, from the flesh, and from the evil one? Uh, How do we persevere? How do we live profitable Christian lives, uh, maybe even for 70, 80, uh, with extra strength years? Well, we need to exercise faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, when the author speaks about this, he's not saying here that uh, this is some kind of work or merit and that God sees your faith as some kind of uh, merit and he's got to reward that. No, we know from other places in the Bible that your faith, even your faith, is a gift from God and it is all of grace. So I don't want you to think here that the author of Hebrews is somehow uh, denying uh, justification by faith alone here. But no, he's saying here, though, that faith believes in God, believes that God is, and takes God at his word. And that faith is the the means by which you're going to persevere, I'm going to persevere, the church is going to persevere in the Lord. And we need that uh, grace, we need that perseverance. Now, what the author does is he gives us a number of illustrations here, and I'm going to give you three historical illustrations by way of our text today. The first one comes from the life of Noah. The second one comes from the life of Abraham. And the third one comes from the life of Sarah, or you could say Sarah and Abraham. So we'll say Sarah, just to keep it short. So we're going to look at Noah, we're going to look at Abraham, and we're going to look at Sarah. These three are uh, used as illustrations. Now, the author of Hebrews, I think, is, is particularly uh, concerned to bring out some of the believers of the Old Testament because remember the context in which this letter is being written and received. And that is that there is a concern that these Hebraic Christians might be drifting back uh, to mere Judaism and returning to the shadows and the types uh, rather than to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the author of Hebrews is showing us here that whether it be Noah or Abraham or Sarah, that all three of these examples, though they lived in the old covenant itself, they nevertheless were looking ahead to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore they, as Hebraic Christians living in the first century, all the more need to cling to Jesus Christ to persevere. And so we are going to uh, look at these three things in order that we too, in the 21st century, might learn how to walk by faith. So let's look at these three uh, historical illustrations. Notice here, first of all, just by way of introduction, verse 6, we see, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And then he goes into the first point, uh, and that is Noah. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, 
being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, just so you understand that the author of Hebrews is drawing this verse from Hebrews, excuse me, from Genesis chapter 6. Now, in, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, God comes to uh, the people, and he doesn't mention uh, necessarily right at that moment Noah, though Calvin seems to think that it, it was Noah and that Noah spent 120 years constructing the ark. I'm not as certain about that. I think what is clear is that the scriptures say that God warned humanity, maybe through Noah at first, 120 years, and there would be a judgment coming in 120 years. Now, did, the, did Noah begin the construction right at the beginning of that, or was that you know, a distinct moment within that 120 years where God then comes to Noah and says, okay, Noah, it's time to begin to build the, the, the ark. But either way, here's the point, that Noah <clears throat> lived by faith. Noah knew that, that a day of judgment was coming. And now we are told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, boys and girls. So Noah not only uh, was the man who constructed the ark, and that's what we tend to think of. We think about the ark. We think about the animals and the, the miracle of the animals coming right before the flood. But th another thing I think that, that the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that even before all that, Noah was a man of faith. He trusted in God. He believed that God was and he believed in the word of God. He believed when God said that in 120 years that there would be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning coming because of the prevalency of the wickedness that was occurring in the earth. And Noah took that warning seriously by faith and he took it to heart and he believed God and he either at that moment or later when God told him, began out of that to build uh, the, the ark that would be a picture of Jesus Christ. You realize now, congregation, that the ark is what? It is a type of Jesus. So Noah was believing in Jesus even before Jesus really became incarnate. Noah shows himself to be a believer in Christ in the coming of the Messiah because he built a picture if you will, the ark is a representation of the salvation you and I know in Jesus Christ today. What was the ark? The ark was salvation from what? The wrath of God. The ark saved typologically in a way that is uh, uh, like the salvation we receive when we put our faith in the word of God who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our ark. He is our refuge. He is the one in whom we seek shelter. You know, the Bible uses a preposition uh, in Greek, which means we often translate it in English as in, but it could be translated as into, and that we believe into Christ, and which I think is interesting because it makes it that much more analogous, I think, to the picture of the ark, that believing into Christ is like getting on the ark. It is going into that place of, of safety. And why is Christ a place of safety for us? 
because what Jesus did at the end of his life was he went to the cross. And it was while Jesus is on that cross that he does what? He bears the wrath and the judgment of God. And he does so in place of sinners. Just as you could say that the ark bore the wrath and the judgment of God as the waters came forth both from beneath and from above, and that all who were in the ark were safe from that judgment of God, we who believe into Jesus Christ are safe from the judgment, the eternal wrath that is to come. Now, many people today, Jesus tells us, are just like they were in the days of Noah. They're going about their business. They're building companies. They're going shopping. They're giving and being given in marriage. They're living out lives, but many of them do not realize the danger that is coming. The danger is that God is going to judge the world again, not with water. That God has promised he would never do again. But this time, we know from the scriptures that God will judge the world with fire. And that if we are to be secure in this life and for the world to come, the eternity to come, we must put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are secure in the day of judgment. You can't rest on the fact that you're a person of prayer or that you consider yourself a spiritual person, or that you think you've done more good than evil, or that you think, well, if God would grade on the curve, I'm, I've got to be in the upper 20% of all humanity in terms of the number of good things I've done and the contributions I've made. None of that means anything to God on the day of judgment. God is going to look at each and every one of us, and he will say, are you 100% righteous or no? And that should awaken us. Because if we are honest, unless we are self-deceived like the righteous, you know, or excuse me, like the rich young ruler, you know, who thought, oh, I've done all these things from my youth up, we know in our conscience that we have never been righteous. And therefore, in and of ourselves, we are in a great place of danger. But the good news of the gospel is that God knows you're not righteous inherently, but he has made a way for you to be declared righteous in his sight so that you will be safe on the day of judgment. And that is the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of God who has become a man. And the Bible says that Jesus lived that righteous life. How could Jesus live a righteous life? Well, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was not brought forth by ordinary human propagation like you and me. Jesus thus is called the second Adam, the second righteous man, the second perfect man. Adam was the first perfect man, but Adam lost that perfection when he sinned against God. And we, by nature, are related to the first Adam. So God has to send a second righteous man, a second perfect man, who can live according to the standard of God's commandments perfectly in word, thought, and deed. And so God declares in Jesus Christ, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He declares it at the baptism. He declares it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But yet, when Jesus is on the cross, God does not declare, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Instead, he gathers 
the outer darkness and causes it to descend on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he begins to plunge Christ into the wrath, into judgment as God pours out that righteous and holy judgment for your sins and my sins is poured out on, the, on, the, on Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he had a baptism to undergo, speaking of the judgment he would suffer, that he would have to drink of the cup of the Father's wrath. Lord, if, or Father, if there be any other way to let this cup pass, Jesus said three times in Gethsemane. But the Father says, no, there is no other way. You must take the cup. You must drink the judgment that I am going to bring on you for the sins of your people. And you must die for those sins. You must suffer the equivalent of eternal hell for those sins. And so Jesus on that cross cries out, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was crushed, according to Isaiah 53, for our iniquities, we are told. Jesus knew this. He knew. Um, Jesus was not unaware as to why he was suffering this. He knew from Scripture that he was the chosen instrument. He was the one that would be crushed for the sins of God's people. He would be the one who was bruised. He was the one that would suffer the judgment for the sins that he never committed. So that you and I could go into Christ by faith. Noah is put before us as a man of faith, and that faith was realized in the construction of the ark. It, the ark was a type of Jesus Christ, and Noah was preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Noah was preaching Christ to a lost and a dying world. Noah was preaching Christ board by board by board by board. Noah was preaching Christ year after year. I don't know. Calvin thinks it took 120 years to build the ark. I don't know. I don't know how many men were employed in the task of building this ark. Um, it might have been 120 years. It might have been the whole 120 years. It might have been shorter. I don't know. But for each and every plank that was put into that ship, Noah was preaching Christ to the neighbors and to the world. I mean, you know, if people today will get in their car and drive to Kentucky to see this thing, I mean, imagine what it was like in Noah's day. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a sense that we could understand something big could be built like that. It, and believe me, go and see it if you haven't seen it. I, I saw it in 2016 and I liked it. It's very good apologetic. But if we would go and see something like that, imagine in Noah's day, have you heard what is being built? Uh, and all the thousands of people that must have traveled many times, maybe for days, weeks, months, to see this ark, to see a ship where there's no water. Noah was preaching Christ, and by the construction of the ark, he was, in a sense, drawing men to himself. But the tragedy of Noah's day was this, that no one but his own family believed. Not even if we imagine Noah employed others, men who worked on the ark, in the construction of it, believed and were brought to a terrible judgment. Now, I don't think that Christ has suffered what he has suffered so that 
only a few would be saved. But it is a warning. Jesus says it is a warning. You know, when people said, Lord, are there few that they are going to be saved? He said, don't worry about that, essentially. Taking some liberty here. He said, what? You strive to make sure you're going through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. Let Jesus worry about the number that are saved. Your job is to make sure you're saved. There's no point in worrying about how many are a part of the secret elect if you're never going to be in heaven. If you're going to spend eternity in hell, don't worry about how many are going to be saved, whether they be few or many. You strive to make sure you're saved. You, you heed the call of Jesus Christ. You heed the call of the gospel. You heed it by way of the way Noah did, by way of repentance and faith in Christ. And take as many other people with you as you can. Now, let me say this, especially I want to say this to, to young people here, because I think this application does need to be made. Sometimes faith makes you look foolish. Faith sometimes makes you look weird in the eyes of the culture. Now, I am not saying this is now your license to put on your inner crazy and, <laughs> and be an oddball. Uh, I am not saying be odd for the sake of being odd and cover it with a sense of uh, your Christian righteousness here. No, we are to be all things to all men in order that we might win some. We are, we are to seek to be wise as fishers of men. But, there may come a time in our lives, young people, when we do have to look different. There are times when the world may not understand why it is you do what you do or why you don't what you don't. And the Lord wants us to walk by faith, even if it means at times it looks like foolishness to others. The world is going to want to know, how come you don't get drunk with us? The world wants to know, how come you avoid premarital sex? You mean to tell me you're a virgin still? And the world wants you to think, that is so crazy, that is so odd. But you need to, be, you need to recognize what the Bible says. That the, the foolishness of God, quote unquote, is wisdom. The foolishness of God, says the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, is in fact wiser than the wisdom of men. Greeks seek wisdom. And wisdom is to be found in Jesus Christ and in his word. And so there are times that we are called to believe and do what the Bible says despite what the culture is telling us. Young people, you are being lied to regularly in the media. You are being lied to regularly by the culture at large. And you need to realize you're not the crazy one. When you believe what God says, you need to realize, I realize from the perspective of some, I look 
weird. I look strange. But I'm not the crazy one here because I have faith in Jesus Christ and I see things that are and things that are coming that they can't see because they're blind. And by God's grace, I too would be blind. But by the grace of God, God has opened my eyes. He's unplugged my ears. He's given me a heart of flesh. And I see now the truth of God's word. I hear the shepherd's voice and I, like a sheep, follow after him. And if he underwent humiliation, I have to go through humiliation at times myself. If he had to bear his cross, Jesus said, I want you to bear your cross and follow after me. You know, there was even in Jesus's life a time when his own family thought, is he going over the edge? Maybe we should go get him. Can one of you brothers of Jesus go in there and see if you can get him? And they try to get there and they can't get in the house. It's too crowded, too many people, church is too full. And what does Jesus do? Well, they send word. Hey, can you, I can't get in there, but can you tell Jesus his family's outside? We'd like to talk to him. We'd like to check on him, make sure he's okay. And Jesus says, what? Who is my family, essentially? It's those who believe and do the word of God. That's my family. And if it makes me look like some crazy prophet, so be it. Now, I'm not going to go, and I'm not saying go out of your way to look crazy, but I am saying that sometimes your faith in the Lord is going to give an appearance to others that you might be. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes the Lord uses that differentiation also as a witness. Because while some may be repelled by it, there are going to be others, by God's grace, who are attracted to it. It's interesting that when the church was beginning to grow, but we're still in that intertestamental period in the book of Acts, and the church is still meeting in the courts of the temple, it says there, Luke tells us that the, that the people were highly regarded, even if they didn't associate with them. They knew and saw that there was a difference in their lives, and they were attracted to it, but they were still afraid to become a part of it. Now, maybe by God's grace, some of those onlookers did eventually come on in. I hope so. But that recognized that your witness to Jesus Christ, you may not have neighbors who are coming up and saying these things, but they're taking note inwardly. They're taking note of the fact that, you know, We'll say Jim because that's a common name here. Jim! Jim never curses at work. You know, I've been working with Jim all these years and he never takes God's name in vain. Um, it may be the fact that it, what, what separates and causes you to be distinct is, is something that is also attractive, even if it's not yet embraced. 
by the watching world. So I say by way of application, faith can make you look different and odd. Think about how odd Noah must have appeared to the world. The mocking Noah must have endured. The humiliation, building a ship for years and years and years with no water in sight. Now, number, I want to move on from Noah and I want to look at Abraham because the second example that the author gives us is found in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was. So God shows us here, not only through Noah, was Noah a man of faith, pointing us to Christ, and we too should stay and lay hold of Christ, but then he goes on to Abraham. And Abraham was mentioned here as a man who demonstrated faith in that God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your land in Chaldea and your family, except your wife, and take your nephew with you. And I want you to go to the land because I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And I'm going to give you descendants in that inheritance that you will not be able to number. And the Bible tells us that Abraham, in response to the word of God, he listened to the word of God and he believed it and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we are told that Abraham left everything. And he and his family went to a land that they did not possess. They went to a land and they didn't build huge cities, we're told. What does the author of Hebrews tell us? He and Isaac and Jacob, they built tents. And they lived in tents in a land that wasn't their own. What is he saying? Abraham believed God and he did what God said, even if it meant I'm going to be a stranger I'm not going to be in the place of my nativity. I'm not going to be in the place of my native land with my native people and my native tongue and my native culture. I'm going to follow God and I am going to live as a stranger, an alien, a pilgrim in this land that I have been promised and yet I am never going to receive in this life. And so the New Testament also speaks to this issue saying, is that not true of us as Christians? That we are called out of a world, from this world, to follow Christ, and that we live out that faith as strangers in this world. Looking to what? Looking to the promise that God will bring about a new heavens and a new earth. Notice what the scripture says here. For he, verse 10, Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What is it that the Christian is doing? We too are looking for what? A city. <coughs> We're looking for a new Jerusalem, aren't we? We're looking for a new heavens and a new earth. We're looking for a world that is to come. We realize that this world will never fully be our home. This world will always have the curse until Christ comes again and removes it all. We are looking for a city 
that is to come. Now, let me say this by way of application again. Here, maybe this might be helpful for, again, those of you who are young. And that is, I think we see here that faith may call you not only sometimes to look odd, as we see with Noah, but it may call, faith may call you to stretch. It may lead you to places you never believed you'd go. It, faith and following the Lord may cause you to have to go into new situations for the sake of obedience to God. I remember when I went on my first and only really major mission trip many years ago. And if, I remember Richard Pratt, when we were in seminary, used to tell us, you know, before you graduate, you should, should go on a foreign mission trip at least once. And for whatever providential reason, namely because I had summer internships at a church here in the States, I never did. After I was called to this church, someone had offered me an opportunity to go for three weeks to Uganda. I was uncertain about it. I thought, is this really a good idea? I mean, I just got here to LaGrange. Should I really be going away for three weeks? And, you know, I hemmed and hawed about it, but in the end made the decision to, to go. And actually, it was one of the, probably one of the greatest blessings uh, of my Christian life in the experience that, you know, I gained. Hopefully, some others in Uganda were blessed, but I was a new preacher, so I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but it, 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 was, it was calling me to go to a place that wasn't all that comfortable uh, for me. Um, and I'm, I'm not the one, I'm not the most adventurous sort by nature. And, but faith may cause us to do that. Uh, it may call you uh, to stretch uh, into things that aren't your comfort zone, to use the modern parlance, and to act in faith. Well, how are you going to do this? Or how are you going to support yourself if you do this for the Lord? Well, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these other things will be added unto you. Faith may call us to say, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't have all the answers. But I do believe that God is calling me. Inwardly, I have this sense of call, and outwardly, it seems to be confirmed, and I, I don't know where it might lead to or where, what nation I might find myself in, but I do believe that I should go. And God will bring about the results. And I think we see something of that with, with Abraham. I want to bring us to the final point here, and that is Sarah in verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. You know, if it could be said that the faith of Noah made him look odd and the faith of Abraham caused him to stretch into the unknown. It could be said that the faith of Sarah caused her to believe the impossible. That that which is with God is possible. God is able to do great things 
Now, indeed, I think this was a miracle of God, but nevertheless, it, I think, can inform us because I think many times, uh, and I'm not advocating for an age of miracles here in our, in our own day, but nevertheless, uh, there, there, there is nothing impossible for God if it be according to his holy will. God is able to do marvelously, abundantly, above all that we could ask or imagine. And, and faith many times will call us to be believing that God will do this, could do this uh, for us, if it, if it be his will. Some of you are, are seeking, even as Abraham and Sarah, children. Uh, whether you are seeking the possibility of children as a married couple, or maybe you're still single, uh, like myself, uh, and, and you wonder, is it possible? We, all things are possible uh, with God. And so we should take comfort if it be the will of the Lord, that the Lord, as we seek to live by faith and obedience uh, and in humble submission to his will, uh, doesn't guarantee the same outcome as that of Abraham and Sarah, but, but we are called to have the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Now, yes, their, their faith faltered. And that, too, should be a comfort, I think, to us. Because our faith does, at times, falter, doesn't it? Sarah laughed when she heard the news. Sarah and Abraham together maybe doubted the outcome and said, well, maybe you're supposed to realize this promise through Hagar. And you know the mess that that made, both then and now. And so, you know, but the, the, even though their faith at times faltered, nevertheless, God did honor what little faith they had. If we have faith, but as a, what, mustard seed, we can move the mountain. Now, faith does not inoculate you from problems, nor does it always solve all your problems. There are people on TV who want to tell you that you'll have no problems if you'll just have faith. That's not the teaching of the Bible. Abraham had plenty of problems. Noah had plenty of problems. Okay? They had plenty of trials and tribulations that they had to go through. But they did trust in the Lord. Jesus said that if we pray and have faith, we can move mountains. And I think we need, from the perspective, not of, I don't want us to overreact to the gospel, uh, to the um, health wealth gospel. I don't want us to overreact to the prosperity gospel. I want us to lay hold of the fact that faith does work. Faith lays hold of God and his word and pleads with God. And, and it is not that the, these things are given to us in, in vain. Now, it may be to change you as much as for you through faith to change the situation. As I was saying to the boys in the Sunday school class, I mean, one of the reasons we pray is not just so we can get what we want, though that may be, the me that may be the, one of the means or motives to, to lead us to prayer is God puts us in a place we don't like and so we pray. But God wants to change us and conform us to Christ. And what was God doing with Abraham and Sarah through all that? He was molding them, sanctifying them through Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to see, that Jesus has said, but nevertheless, not overreacting to the prosperity gospel, Faith can move mountains. I mean, Jesus told us that we should bother God with our prayers. He's told us that we should be like the importunate widow, going to the judge and bothering him every day. We should be like that next door neighbor who won't go away at midnight. I've got company. 
Unexpected company at my house. I have nothing and Publix is closed. Help me, help me, help me. No, we're in bed. No, no, get out of bed. Help me. Friends, and yet this prayer meeting on Wednesday nights is half empty. Faith moves mountains. Mm -hmm. 